Artism Podcast, where we explore creativity, inspiration, and the determination it takes to be an artisan. This podcast is for artisans, by artisans. I'm your host, Kathy Duraghi, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to our next guest. Welcome to the Artisan Podcast. Our guest today is Shanley Jew, the Executive Creative Director at PXG. Shanley brings with him 20 plus years of experience as a creative in brand building and strategy and creating culture and building teams. And I am super excited to welcome him here today so that we can share and uh, learn from him and his experience. Welcome, Shanley. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So tell us, I know it's been a while since you and I have spoken. Uh, where are you? What are you up to these days? Well, uh, like a lot of people, uh, a lot of transitions have happened in the past year in 2020. Uh, the, the agency that I was working for out here in Arizona uh, and the agency that I came out here to work for had to fold because of the circumstances of the pandemic. Uh, lucky enough, the, uh, the the larger umbrella corporation was able to fold uh, most of the agency inside of the uh, an in-house uh, marketing team for their one of their flagship companies, which is PXG. So now I am uh, uh, I have the privilege of leading the same team. Oh, uh, good. Uh, uh, mostly the same team uh, with uh, with PXG's marketing efforts and to uh, help them with their brand strategy, their brand communications uh, across touch points. So it's a, it's a very good opportunity and I'm fortunate to be able to work with them. Wonderful. That's good to hear. Actually, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was adversity and um, you know how to bounce back. I, I know there's quite a few talent out there who have been adversely impacted by COVID. And um, would love to just kind of hear that mindset that one goes through when, you know, one opportunity is ended and another one is starting and kind of just share a little bit about that. Yeah, I think the, uh, when, when the, um, when the agency folded, it was a pretty sad time. Uh, we, you know, I came out here for that, for that company, for that business. And I was, uh, I had my mind set on building the business along with uh, all the other folks that I was part of. But, uh, you know, uh, like in all uh, positions or jobs or careers or um, whatever it is that you're a part of, it really is about the people and the team that, you're, that you get to work with that really makes a difference. And um, <clears throat> I was fortunate enough so that when most of the people that I was currently working with was able to transition into PXG, it made a huge difference for me to be able to smoothly get into this role even though it's kind of a, it's different. Um, I've always been a, an agency guy and transitioning into in-house um, is a different mindset. Uh, I've been in both sides before and uh, you just have to kind of change tracks a little bit uh, instead of uh, going out there and winning business. Uh, you're out there, uh, you're working hard to build brands and build scalability, uh, build sustainability in processes and, and all that other stuff that uh, I feel like is 90% of what uh, what my position should be doing. 
uh, if that makes any sense. It does. It does. And it's interesting that you bring it up because oftentimes when we're working with candidates, that is one of the questions that we ask is which side of that coin do you prefer to be on? Do you want to be on the brand side? Do you want to be on the agency side? And often the, the conversation that comes up is brand side. And correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, brand side is very focused on the umbrella of brands or maybe in some instances, just one brand versus on the agency side is, is multiple brands, multiple clients. Um, so, you know, so really depending on kind of where somebody wants to grow their career or focus their, their career on um, seems to be a determinant as to, you know, what type of opportunities we present them with. Um, so is that kind of what, what you find as well is that agency side just has a more of a variety in terms of the brands that you work with versus concentrated or not necessarily? Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up, but I think uh, agencies have, uh, yes, they have a variety of brands and clients that they get to, that they get to work on. Um, but it's also narrow in focus because mm -hmm. they are providing a specific service or a specific type of um, capability to them that they can then uh, be the best at. Um, whereas with, um, when you're on the brand side, uh, you're, you're thinking about, uh, uh slightly different things mm -hmm. that, uh, that, uh, actually is the reverse of what's happening in the agency. You are narrow and focused on the brand, everything you must win in the, in the brand corridor, uh, eyeballs and clicks and whatnot. Uh, but your approach is broader. Uh, you need to understand what's happening in both operations and sales, and mm. uh, in order to in order for it to inform marketing, you have to understand the business strategy, and you know you you have to be connected with every aspect and every division, so that you can communicate authentically uh, what the brand of the business is about. So, in many ways, they are flip inverse twins of each other, if if you will. Yeah. It make, makes sense. Does that impact creativity in any way or how, how one approaches the creative process? Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, you're, uh, uh, with the agency, you can get a breath of fresh air. Uh, after you're done with this one client, you can move on to this other one. Mm. You know, Typically in an agency setting, you maybe have, are assigned two or three brands that you, are, that you lead the effort in. And uh, then you can sort of uh, cleanse your palate, if you will. Uh, so that you can get to the next thing and you suddenly you're, it's like taking a walk, uh, mm -hmm. you get a little fresh air and then you're suddenly, you can move, you can get onto the next thing. Uh, whereas with uh, focusing on one brand at a time, you really do have to, um, uh, you, you do need to consciously step away mm -hmm. and, and do other things so that it can help inform uh, some of the things that you are doing. It's a, uh, it's a little more, uh, uh, you have to really pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. So how does that play into inspiration and how, where you would, you find inspiration, um, you, you as in not necessarily you Shanley, but you as an, a creative, uh, find inspiration over and over again when it's really touching the same family of brands or the same one brand over and over again. It's, I, I think the, uh, the approach and, uh, if you just, if, uh, if I were to kind of drill in to the deepest levels, uh, to the root cause of, 
of inspiration, mm-hmm. uh, it it's always kind of remains the same. Okay. Um, and that is, the, you know, I don't know how other creative folks do it, but for me, it's about, uh, it's about being open to many different ideas, both consciously and unconsciously throughout your day. And uh, the more you're open to it, uh, the more that stuff actually seeps into your bones. Mm-hmm. If you will. And then they come back in, in moments that are, that you may not expect. Usually when you're, usually for me, when, when, when I'm in a quiet moment and I'm able to reflect and think about things and uh, some of that stuff comes back and I realize that there's a connection point mm-hmm. that, uh, that suddenly wasn't there before. And, you know, sometimes it's a piece of music. Sometimes it's a movie I saw. Sometimes it's a mm-hmm. bad TV show or commercial, <laughs> you know, or, or a, an article that I'm reading. It's funny how I think uh, subconsciously uh, and through serendipity, you find things that will inspire you even when you're not thinking about it. Because I think your mind is consciously working on it in the background. I guess that's unconsciously. It's working in the background. And uh, it's probably doing a better job at it when you're not thinking about it and you're doing something else. And then it just comes to you. Hmm. Do you, uh, do you take some time, do you meditate or do you take some time to just be intentional about the quiet time to be able to channel that? Yeah. I, I hear good things about meditation. I need to pick that up. A lot of people bring that up, uh, but I, I don't do it. Uh, I, I'm going to give it a try at some point. Uh, what I do like to do is, uh, you know, uh, 15 years ago, I probably would not have been considered a, a morning person, but I am now. I like to get up in the morning and I, and I like the quiet time in front. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I need is about an hour, an hour and a half to sit in front of something so that I can either write it out or strategize or put it together into the, into the order that I think it ought to be in before the, you know, the zaniness of the day takes over. And, uh, and so I'm very protective of that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a few times where uh, status meetings will get in get in the way, and uh, I try to, as best as I can, squeeze my way out of those so that I can put my best efforts in in what I think I should be doing. Mm-hmm. I agree a hundred percent. Ever since the pandemic, you know, started actually, I think ever since middle of March last year. Uh, my husband and I, we made a point of getting up really early, like 5 a.m. Because, you know, during the lockdown, you couldn't leave the house even, or you wouldn't want to necessarily. So it was the only time of the day that I could get outside, get some fresh air and just ensure that there was nobody else around. So, and it just, it's become a habit. So if like 5 a.m., you know, alarm goes off by 5.50, I'm out the door and just walk for like two to three miles every morning and I didn't do it this morning because I had a six o'clock meeting and I can feel it. I Mm. can feel that just that, like, you know, I'll go for a walk after dinner tonight, but it's just amazing that you're a hundred percent right. That calmness, that quiet mind space is brilliant. And things come up on the walk that I'm like, Oh, I wish I had something to write with, or I wish I had my phone. It's a, it's a really guarded and treasured time for me. So uh, I can get a little, you know, unhappy if somebody schedules a meeting during my quiet time. Yeah. But, you know, I try to work around it. 
Are you still very hands-on in terms of the creative or are you more kind of directing the rest of the team? Uh, I think I'm, I'm more directing now. Uh, there were, you know, this might get into the weeds a bit, but I was, uh, I was watching uh, one of the designers on our team just manipulating a file who was an InDesign. And he was, uh, I was watching on screen through Teams and, he, and I knew what he was doing. And then suddenly he was doing these other things and he was manipulating the screen in such a way where he wasn't using his mouse. And I didn't realize that there were all these quick keys that were a part of this. And I just asked him, how do you, how did you, and he's like, well, it's this and this and this. And I said, oh, forget it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm so behind now that it's, uh, it would be impossible. In fact, uh, just, uh, just recently, you know, this week, there was an all hands uh, project that we had to get sorted out. And, you know, my biggest, uh, the, the, the best that I can do for my team is to try to first clear uh, any roadblocks that are in the way mm -hmm. that'll get things done where resources, uh, competing project timelines, you know, for me, I'll just go out and politically, team-wise, relationship-wise, whatever I had to do, clear the plates for them and protect them from anything that's incoming. So that's, that's probably my best use of time. But then finally I sat in there and I, and I was able to rally maybe two or three people uh, to get into this effort. And I said to him, look, I can pitch in. I can, I can probably help you do some of this Photoshop work. And <laughs> there was a telling look on his face when he looked at this guy. I think that would be more work to, for me to show you how to do this. Oh, no. <laughs> I said, okay, got it. It's like you're supposed to remove the roadblocks, not become one. Right, exactly. So, you know, uh, I've, come, uh, to, I've come to grips with that. You know, it was, uh, there was a time when I was pretty speedy in Photoshop, but, man, those, were, those days are, are uh, behind me a bit. Yeah, so you're more on the strategy side and kind of looking at the big picture. Um, can you walk us through a little bit about first kind of just your, your career project, you know, trajectory uh, as well as in that strategic mindset? Like what are all the different pieces of the puzzle that you have to gather uh, in order for your team to then be able to go out and execute? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> for me, the, uh, it's, it doesn't always happen. And I'm also guilty of, you know, of not doing the right things and the right procedures, but I try to remember them and I try to follow the structure, but uh, I work pretty hard on making sure that there's a, a proper brief. And, you know, I'm sure a million people have heard this over and over again, but writing a proper brief is, is not easy. Uh, I've seen many different types of briefs, and I'm sure you have too. There are briefs that are, you know, pages and pages long that end up being uh, not very helpful. And I've learned that uh, writing a brief is, you know, in, in the very name of the document is to be brief. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and that's not so easy uh, mm -hmm. for a lot of people to write a half-page document that tells you exactly what you need because you really have to pay attention to the words that you utilize because mm -hmm. you don't want to use more than you need to. So uh, the brief is, is one, uh, rallying the troops so that you have a proper kickoff. And it's not just rallying the troops, it's uh, rallying the right team members, mm -hmm. the ones that can make 
the decisions on the spot that can help us move forward and to identify what type of meeting that you have when you're doing that kickoff. Is it getting answers? Is it getting scheduling? Is it FYI? Is it, you know, all those things so that the people walk away with a clear understanding of what each of their tasks and expectations are mm -hmm. uh, more importantly. And then afterwards it's uh, backing away so that, you know, if, if I've done my, you know, if myself and the rest of the team have done a good job in getting the right people, uh, just getting out of the way and making sure that things don't get in their way, uh, whatever that might be. And it could be a number of things, could be time, could be resources, could be tool, could be, could be anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means just kind of checking in once in a while and making sure that uh, you can hear it from the horse's mouth, if you will. So uh, primarily I spend uh, a good portion of my day ch checking in and then backing away and then seeing, uh, you know, trying to see ahead for them because they're only seeing five feet ahead. I need to see 50 feet ahead or, f or further so that, uh, you know, they don't hit a brick wall. How do you balance the, the checking in uh, and making sure that you're checking in, but you're still giving enough space? Because we're talking about creativity, right? So... Like, how do you set the lanes? Like, these are our these are our lanes that we have to stay within. But within this, just do whatever you want. Um, how, well, how do you go ahead and do that? I've been fortunate to in many of situations that I work with, uh, and uh, maybe I had a little something to do with it. But I'd like to I'd like to foster uh, an approach where anybody is welcome to come and tell me whatever it is that they feel like telling me. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> that, that has served me pretty well because uh, w in the moments where I have not been checking in, people would check in for me. Oh, good. They, they would just kind of knock on my door and each of them has their tell, you know, their tell when they come to me. Some of them has, the, some of them come to me back before the COVID times. Uh, I knew a person that used to come to, to my office door. And if I knew that she was going to lean into the door frame, there was going to be a problem. <laughs> She'd just kind of come in, cross her arms and lean over to the side. And I said, oh, here it comes. Uh, or if somebody comes in and shuts the door, then you know something's up, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, the nonverbal cues, right? <laughs> that's right. So um, uh, I've, been, uh, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, good team members that were able to raise the flag uh, and, and be comfortable enough to come forward and say, this is going to be a problem. And uh, I'm honored that they were, they trusted me enough so that I would be able to help them with it. And, you know, uh, I did my best to kind of help them through whatever it is that they were going through. That's great. I mean, that's a true sign of leadership to be able to do that. And I think a big differentiator between leadership and managing the process, right? It's kind of having that oversight. How are you doing that now in this virtual uh, environment? Are, are you virtual? I'm assuming with your team currently still, right? It's uh, it's pretty interesting how things are kind of working out these days with uh, both virtual and then face-to-face. Uh, -face. Uh, I think it's, lead, it's, you know, if I were to look in, this is not the question you asked, but well, if I looked into the future a little bit, uh, I think the uh, the face-to-face -face, um, connections are going to be more highly valued and more 
and more productive in the future because we're going to be, we're really going to pay attention to it. If we're going to mm -hmm. drive into the office to meet on a certain task, we're going to be laser focused on doing that task and nothing else will interfere. And uh, I have found that uh, our team's communications has really stepped up the uh, communications before. Uh, <clears throat> back in the old in the physical world, uh, when we were back in the office, I used to like to roam around the office just to kind of peek in and see how things are going. And now I can just kind of toss a note over and say, hey, how's it going? And they can answer at their, at their leisure, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's, uh, it offers some flexibility. And I, and I think it's going to offer a lot more focus um, for people to be able to uh, be task-oriented, be uh, objective-oriented when they get in and meet face-to-face. I remember in your old office, you had this one space that was, uh, I think every morning you would have an all hands meeting. Um, are you still doing an all hands virtually via Skype or Zoom or? Yes, we still have the all hands. Uh, it has become a weekly instead of a daily. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's been working really well. But there are other status meetings that I've been, uh, I've been uh, able to get into uh get into the, I don't know, the docket, if you will, the schedule that helps us to look at, you know, status is one thing. Another thing is looking at big pictures and, mm -hmm. and how uh, multiple, how to connect multiple projects that may not necessarily be seen as part of a cohesive strategy. Uh, sometimes we're, uh, PXG is a, is a very fast paced environment. Uh, we want to get those products out, uh, of course, ahead of our competitors, but we also want to say the right things and we want to make sure that we're on brand. And, be, and when you mix that uh, with a lot of A, like a players, um, you, have, you have people that are just driving forward, laser focused on their, on their lane uh, and maybe not necessarily connecting the lanes that are necessary to make it you know, everybody rowing in the same direction. So, you know, I try to, I try to back up and look for those connection points to make sure that we're all saying the, saying the same thing, saying the right thing, uh, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we've been remote for 11 years. So so that's This virtual space is very, very normal for me, but I remember when the, you know, the, the, same time last year when the pandemic first hit there were we had several clients who this this was a brand new foray for them and for a short time we almost became a consultant trying to like show how to go virtual and like the best practices that we took into play in, into consideration and this is you know we did this way back when we didn't have nearly the technologies that we have today right. to support to support being a remote office. Um, so it's always just fascinating for me to hear how teams are doing it currently, what new learnings have come from that, what changes have come from that. So thank you for sharing that. Well, not at all. It's good. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear from you um, as you were growing in your career, what piece of feedback or criticism really was a big aha for you? What, what kind of propelled you forward um, based on something that you heard about your creative? Hmm. 
Uh, where epiphanies are concerned, I think there were, uh, I can't, I'll probably think of this after the interview, right? <laughs> I can point to a number of smaller things that, uh, that uh, were game changers for me. Um, <clears throat> I had a, uh, you know, a, a lot of folks that I listened to and worked with, uh, they were sort of uh, uh, secret mentors for me. Uh, they didn't realize they were mentors. I was just watching them. And I think, uh, I think a lot of young designers and creative people have secret mentors that they, everybody is sort of a, a mentor in some way, right? They're the way they behave, how they, how they react, um, you know, how they pursue or, or approach a, a project. It's all being, it's all being absorbed uh, from everyone at, at any time. And I was doing the same thing when I was beginning as well. Uh, a couple of key things were, uh, <clears throat> and the funny thing about that part is that the mentors, uh, they don't have to be good people. They can be really bad people, mm -hmm. really horrible people. And, uh, and more than anything else, uh, uh, from working with not nice people, horrible people and horrible cultures, you actually learn even more. Uh, you understand because, uh, the biggest epiphany that I remember that I realized when, when I was growing into this leadership position was never to forget the way I felt mm. um, about any given situation and then try to channel that to, to make sure that that, how I felt at that time in a, and you know, you, you think there's a lot of different situations that it seems to me like that maybe there's only 15 or 10 or 15 situations dressed differently you know what i mean and uh and they would happen again and it would come in a different disguise but you know usually you know with a little insight i could see through that and then just try to remember how i felt you know if there, there was a time when there was you know no no objective no strategy or no time mm -hmm. you know i didn't feel great when i was a designer trying to work against that uh, i tried to get more time uh uh if there were if there were moments where folks just felt like they were left alone to fend for themselves, that's not a great feeling because that just doesn't help anyone. Yeah. And so uh, I work really hard to try to make sure that they can, you know, raise their hands, ask for help, and be assured that we're going to do something to make sure he gets help. And uh, or being just that that was there are a few times where, you know, I've seen uh, poor behavior end up. Mm -hmm. uh, being a way for me to inspire myself to, to be better in the future for, for other people that were in my position. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe that's a, that epiphany came to me after maybe, you know, having, having the privilege of working with a lot of not so great people. I think that that is beautifully said. I know that's a, one of my biggest lessons is having had a manager that I knew I just will, would never want to manage like that. Right. That was a huge lesson right there. Yeah. And they didn't know they were giving you that lesson, but you got, you walked away with a million dollar lesson. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Then you said it really well. Uh, people remember how you make them feel. Yeah. They may forget Absolutely. your words, right? They may forget your actions, but boy, they will remember how you made them feel. Well, that sure. was, that was Maya Angelou, right? That's, yeah. Those are her words. Yeah. So yeah, uh, she had a, she had a, a good way with words and yeah. that's exactly right. 
Yeah, I forget what the quote is exactly, but it's always stayed with me in that just you know, kindness goes a long way. Um, yes. And empathy well, just goes a long way. Yeah, empathy and just, you know, saying hello or acknowledging that these people there. I, I go to a ton of photo shoots and uh, when I'm there, you know, there'll be the grip or the or the the light guy or the electrician and all those other guys, you know, I know all those guys by name because I've worked with them for so long and it's really it's great to see them because it's like a reunion every single time we get together because it's fun. And uh, being able to uh, foster that type of engagement and relationship goes a long way because uh, that grip guy or that lighting guy is going to find something that you'll never know anything about. And if he cares enough about you, not necessarily the project, he might bring that to your attention and then you can do something about it. But if you're a jerk, you know, it's going to affect quality. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we forget sometimes when we're running a thousand miles a minute that we're all human and everybody's going through something of their own and we're not the only ones with the deadline or an issue or a problem at home or so when, when we get to connect on a human level, it's, you know, that, that lasts. I'm actually going to look up that to Maya Angelou quote um, while we're at it before I forget. Do you remember the words exactly, uh, Shanley? Yes, something about uh, people never forget the way, you, the way you made them feel. Oh, yeah, I, I think I found was the, it. was the ending part. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's what we were just saying. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. Yeah. Great That's words. a good lesson, not just for creative leadership, but for anything. But maybe, yeah. maybe especially creative leadership because uh, <clears throat> creative people are instinctive. It must be built into their DNA to be highly emotional. And, uh, and uh, with great emotional intelligence. Uh, uh, one of the, you know, not so great positions that, you know, you get to, I get to have uh, being in a, in this position is uh, sometimes there's a strategy that you don't believe in, right? And you gotta go in there and sell these guys that uh, this is the way we're gonna go and this is how we're gonna do it. And that's not a great thing because um, with creative folks, they can see right through everything you're saying and, you know, yeah, that's, it's not going to fly. You have to come in at, as authentic as you possibly yeah. can. And it puts me in a difficult position because there's some, there are times where I'm just like, I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> right? But it's, um, it's also okay to let them know that you're not really 100% on board either. But uh, uh, the saving grace is that uh, for me, I, I think it's really about going in there and making the best effort with what you have to make the best thing out of what you, you know, so that you can go home and sleep at night, knowing that mm -hmm. you did the best you could, with what was given to you. And knowing that if, if there was a little bit more, it could have been fantastic, but we mm -hmm. did look what we did with what we had. So uh, in that regard, yeah, I, I feel absolutely fine with that. You know, there's another old saying that uh, I always repeat to myself is that you can take the horse to the river, right? And you can't make him drink. And, uh, you know, in the agency side, it was a little, a little easier. You know, I, 
was totally fine with taking the horse to the river. And I always took him to a really nice river, a really nice river. It would be a river that was flowing from, you know, the glaciers were melting up top and feeding life through the valley and all the animals were alive because of it, you know. And if a horse wants to drink out of a puddle a hundred yards away from the river, it's fine, just pay me because I brought you to the river. <laughs> That's the horse's prerogative. That's right. right. Yeah, good yeah. luck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I would imagine on the same, by the same token, on the other side too, when you have someone who works for you, who you know has spent quite a few hours, put their heart and soul in, in creating something, designing something, and they come to you and you're like, this doesn't hit the mark, or this is not aligned with the brief or with the strategy. And then having to give them that feedback and that constructive um, criticism that's hard too, right? Yeah, it's it's doubly hard because I, I need to go back and check on how I briefed them or how they got the information or how they um, you know how they were receiving it and did I miss a did I miss something when I was telling them? That's the part where I'm you know I'm not really always a hundred percent sure. Communication is kind of a you know depends on the person. Now through video, it's a whole thing, right? Yeah. So. Um, I go back and I try to make sure that, you know, I was clear and, you know, there's always a, you know, a few times when you, what's good is that if you work with the same person over and over again, you, you build a level of trust. Yeah. And, uh, if they came back with something like there, there, I have plenty of teammates that come back with exactly what was expected. And there's a level of, uh, of understanding between us that uh, uh that i will know that oh yeah i forgot to tell you this and like well you didn't say that's out here oh that critical piece of information <laughs> i should have told you that uh, but uh, at the flip side of that uh, where where leadership is concerned uh, i think another unspoken uh, uh good practice would be to to be as predictable as possible uh, as a as a boss or as a leader, um, and and they usually can pick up on my quirks. I will you know I will ask for if you're going to if you're going to give me a headline, please don't put an M dash in the headline. They'll they'll know that, and I'll say it a couple of times. And over time, if I keep saying the same thing, they'll be okay. I get it. Or you know if you're going to use an apostrophe, use the curly Q, not the mm-hmm. not the inches mark or the foot mark, which drives me crazy. Little things like that, that I say over and over again, or I, or I will uh, communicate really clearly, uh, allows people to be able to predict me. And nobody wants an unpredictable boss. The Shanleyisms, right? right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's easy. Then it's really easy. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Shan's probably going to say this and whatever. Mm -hmm. Not that I want everything to be like, the way I want it, mm-hmm. but it does make it easier for them uh, on a day-to-day basis so that they don't have to try to guess what, what crazy side of the bed did I jump out of today? <laughs> yes. There's another favorite quote, um, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. <laughs> have you heard that one? Brene no, Brown. Cool. Yeah. Brene Brown. She, she uh, always talks yeah. about that. Clear is kind. Like, yeah, just clear is kind. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. I like, I like her work. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, having people guess is uh, overrated 
best to just be upfront and clear. <laughs> right. So you talked about working with teams and having worked with them for quite some time. Um, how do you go about, like, what is it that you look for when you're looking to hire? Is there any, uh, any feedback to the, you know, to the listeners out there who may be in search of a job? Um, how, what is it? Is it their portfolio that you specifically look for? Is it culture? Is it skills? How do you go about um, kind of determining what's right for your team? Uh, Portfolio is probably the number one gateway, mm-hmm. gateway in uh, the way it's structured, the way it's presented, the way you talk about it. Uh, the whole thing uh, paints a uh, paints a picture or an aspect of what type of artist or creative individual you are. Um, and you know, in the old days, you would look at the resume and that would tell you everything. Well, the portfolio is the mm-hmm. first thing that I look at, and then. Then I jump to the resume and the resume, uh, depending on position, uh, I look at with different, with varying degrees of criticism. Uh, if it's a junior designer and there's a couple of uh, typos, I'm not going to freak out. If it's a CD position, mm-hmm. and it's not well written and nicely structured and coherent. Then I'm, then I'm probably going to say, well, I'll probably pass because that's, that's probably how the, that's the quality of work that I'll probably receive. And then, uh, so it's a portfolio resume and then, uh, and then the interview. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for interview, I, I, I prefer that they would be able to just tell me some stories about some of the things that they've gone through. And I try to, I try to pro, you know, prod that out of them by asking them about situations or how they handled certain things or, you know, things that were either a little more abstract or, but based on a, uh, based on a factual story that helped them through something, you know, how did you get yourself through, uh, you, you got a project for instance, and, uh, you worked really hard on it and suddenly the position, you know, the strategy changed 180 degrees. Tell me about a, that moment that I know happened to you. Right. And how did you handle it? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, behavioral questions I find uh, more interesting and in a better way, a better way to, to find out who they are uh, rather than talking about what they're capable of doing or, you know, what, what version of Photoshop are you up to now? Uh, you know, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the, the people side of it. Yeah. And, and yeah, uh, they, they are, in the interview process because uh, I, hopefully they, they were able to demonstrate in their portfolio and their resume that they had the skills. Yeah. So at that point, it's just about uh, the personality. Yeah. Now, you know, it's, it's, that's not always a hundred percent. Now I've, there are plenty of times where the, uh, we really thought we had one person and it turned out to be someone else. And that's not really great. So, you know, from, from the side of being a candidate, you know, the interview boat goes, goes both ways. Uh, I, I would not be so crazed about getting a, getting a job just for the sake of getting a job because mm-hmm. you, you're actually inheriting a, a brand new family that you'll be seeing for eight hours a day, five days a week, probably more. And, uh, and we all know, no, nobody has a great family. I mean, 
they're all nuts, right? They're all a little crazy. So you're going to have your personal family, you're going to have your professional family, and they're going to have their corpse. So the interview goes both ways. And um, demonstrating that you're paying attention to that by asking really good questions at the end so that uh, we can under, you know, the person that's trying to hire will understand where you're coming from, you know, is, uh, is very important. Uh, just, yeah, it's, just, yeah, it's very true. I mean, we, when we're um, getting candidates ready for their interviews or, you know, you know, sending in the information out, we always say, just be yourself, be authentic. You don't want to be someone on the interview and then you go in there and, truly the environment isn't what you want or that culture fit isn't there. Right. Don't fake it on the interview because you're going to be spending 40 hours a week Yeah. in that situation, in that setting. So. Absolutely. Be yourself, be the yeah. guy that be the person that you want to be so that you can be that person when you show up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, You've touched upon a lot, and I really appreciate the time that you've taken uh, to share, you know, to share your insight with us. Um, I'd like to, to kind of maybe close out our session with knowing that there's a lot, there's still quite a few people out there looking for work, uh, and you know, going on multiple interviews that aren't leading to anything, sending resumes out that are going into a, the black hole of resumes. Anything you can share to keep at it, to keep the determination and the resilience up? Um, I've done a fair amount of uh, job searches myself. And uh, there have been, uh, I've also reached points where there have been some pretty long spells. Um, <clears throat> it's easier to think about it in, in hindsight, but during the time, it's very difficult to keep up a routine Mm -hmm. and and to remain positive um so you have to find ways to fool yourself into uh, keeping that routine hearty and also to keep that positivity up as best as you can but know that uh if if an interview doesn't go well or if somebody doesn't answer uh, an application um you know it's because they weren't the right people mm. and that uh and that you haven't found your people yet. You know, your, your people are out there and they're looking for you and, and you're looking for them. And at some point the stars will align and you'll find each other. So failure is really just, a, it's easier to say on the other side of it, but during that time you have to remind yourself that it's, it's really kind of a guidepost in this, in this road. They're like, they're saying, no, we don't want you, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be bothered by the rejection, but rather, oh, that's a course correction. That's leading me somewhere. You just have no idea where that, where you're actually going. Uh, but when you get there, you realize that, hey, you know what? This is where I should have been all along. Beautifully said. Hold on to the hope. Yeah, beautifully said. Find your people. Oh my gosh, yeah. I love that. Love that. Well, thank you, Shanley. With that, I think you, you're leaving us at a really very uplifting, hopeful spot. So um, I want to thank you for the time that you've taken to be here. And it's just great to see you again. And um, really appreciate your, you know, your, your insights and your knowledge. Well, thank you for inviting. I'm flattered. Appreciate well, it. My pleasure. My pleasure.
Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Artisan Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Artisan Creative, a staffing and recruitment firm specializing in creative, marketing, and digital talent. You can find us online at artisancreative.com or via social channels at Artisan Creative. We look forward to connecting.